Today's lesson is about conducting a sales interview. So let's start here. What's the purpose of a sales interview? The purpose of a sales interview is to determine fit. It is not to pitch anything to the client. It's not to try to convince the client of anything. You're just going to ask a bunch of questions and try and convince yourself that there's a good fit. Trying to convince yourself that if the client gives you a bunch of money, that by the time you're done, they're going to be happy that they did it. You're going to deliver a positive ROI. You're going to satisfy them. That is the purpose of a sales interview. What's the process of a sales interview? Well, first, you come in contact with a, a lead or a prospect or someone who might be a client somehow. It could be that you reached out to them and said, hey, uh, maybe we'd be a good fit. You want to jump on a phone call? Or maybe they reached out to you and said, you got your name from someone. They said, you're amazing. We should talk. But somehow you come in contact and you agree to have a phone call to determine if there's a good fit between your two businesses. Then you jump on a call, or it could be in person, it could be a video call, it could be audio, it doesn't matter, but it's a real-time meeting where you interview each other to determine if there's a good fit. It usually goes like this. They'll start off by brain dumping about the project, and you have to let them do this. You have to let them get all the information that's on their minds off their chest. You need to let them exhaust every detail and concept and self-diagnosis and prescriptive action and task that they have in their minds. Because if you don't, they're going to be thinking about those things while you're asking questions about something else, something more big picture. So you have to let them brain dump. It usually takes about 10 to 20 minutes, at which point they'll stop and they'll kind of sit back and say something to you like, what do you think? They'll realize that they've been talking the entire time. And at that point, you're going to engage in a why conversation. The why conversation consists of three types of questions. Why this, why now, and why me? And as you ask those questions or questions that sort of circle around those three topics, you're essentially, in a sense, you're kind of trying to talk them out of working with you. You're putting them on the spot. You're asking them to convince you that there's a good fit. You're asking them to convince you that you're the right person for the job or that there's something that you can do to increase the, uh, their ROI or whatever business benefit that they're looking for uh, from the engagement. And you can't just make this stuff up. You have to get them to tell it to you. And it's not going to be natural for them. Their, their, their underlying motivation, their underlying outcome that they're looking for or the final outcome that they're looking for is so obvious to them that they're not even going to think to mention it to you which means it's going to be really hard if you, if you take a project without knowing what's going to satisfy them, it's going to be really hard to satisfy them. You won't even know if you can. So taking the job would be weird. So you want to find out what is going to satisfy them by using these why con, uh, questions to uncover their underlying motivation. So the why this questions basically amount to, um, why not not do this project? You know, you contacted me about doing a responsive redesign of your website or to put together a case study or a white paper or to shoot a bunch of product images. Why? Why not not do that? What's the problem? This is going to cost a lot of money. It's going to take probably a lot of time from your employees. You're going to have to manage it. It's going to be a lot going on. It's going to, you know, it's going to be resource intensive. Why not not do it? What's the big deal? And force them to uh, basically, you're dispelling any assumptions you might have about why they would want a responsive website or why they would want product photography. And because there are a million reasons why they might want that, but they have a specific one. So they'll come back to you and say, you know, if we use the mobile uh, example, they'll say something like, well, 
you know, our drop-off rate in the, uh, the checkout is horrible on mobile and mobile is growing significantly. And we really just, you know, we researched a little bit and my friend told me that if we make the site responsive, then that'll probably increase the drop-off rate. So now all of a sudden you've got something you can measure. You've got a business benefit, a decreased card abandonment rate or decreased drop-off or increased, um, conversions. That's something you can measure. It's not just a vague, hey, we want a, a responsive website. Um, it, could have been, it could have been a bunch of other reasons too. There could be all sorts of different reasons why someone would want a responsive website. And if you're someone who delivers responsive websites, it's not natural for you to force them to tell you why they want a responsive website because you just know it's always better. But you need their particular reason. It's, it's a complete game changer if you understand their underlying motivation and the, the key success metric because then you'll know when you're done. You'll know when you hit a home run. You'll know when you've satisfied them. The next type of question is the why now question. And why now questions are meant to determine the urgency of the project. The more urgent it is, the higher the value it's going to be to, you know, to hire an expert to assist them. So ideally, they're going to say this is incredibly urgent. We have to have this done before the next Olympics or the, the Emmys or the next presidential election or um, before Amazon releases their next competing product, there needs to be, well, ideally, there's going to be a lot of urgency. If there isn't a lot of urgency, then the value is not going to be as high, and you'll need to take that into consideration when you're calculating your prices. The last kind of why question uh, is the why me question, and that is usually the toughest for people to execute Uh, They just can't bring themselves to do it. It feels weird because they're used to pitching in a sales meeting. They're not used to, you know, looking for alternatives They're helping the client look for alternatives to hiring them. So why would you say something like, eh, why hire someone expensive like me when you could just do this internally or just hire someone from Fiverr? You know, it feels weird to suggest those things. And in fact, the clients will sometimes laugh and say, geez, it seems like you're trying to talk yourself out of the job. Or they'll say, you sure you even want this project? And that's, that's the reaction you want. You want them to feel like you're not desperate for the work. You want them to feel like you're really uh, looking for a good fit. You don't want to take their money if you're not the right person. Because that's not going to end well. You want to make sure that they really need someone expensive like you. And they've thought through all of the reasons why they aren't using someone cheaper. And what will happen is they'll give you all those reasons. And then you can put them in the proposal later. So if they say, well, you know... We tried using Fiverr for our book cover designs in the past, but, you know, it took a long time and we weren't super happy with the results. So this time we decided to really invest in a professional like you. And we understand that that investment's going to be worthwhile because we've had some experience in this space. You can take that language and put it right into the proposal and say, you've used cheaper people in the past and you know that hiring a professional is actually valuable. So it's great because they kind of write the proposal for you. So the beauty of having... The beauty of having these why questions uh, and the, the client's answers to these why questions is that you raise every objection while you're talking to them. So by the time you write the proposal, you can put all of the you can kind of uh, you can put all that information into the proposal. So if when they read it back, they'll be reminded like, oh, yeah, we really do need to do this. We really do need to do this now. And we really do need to use someone expensive like this person. And and if the, the person who's re- your contact, if your person receiving the proposal gives it to a friend to review or a colleague or a spouse or whatever, it's going to have the client's own words explaining why 
um, all of the objections that an outsider might raise are invalid. It's great. They basically write the whole proposal for you if you do a really good, uh, if you have a really good why conversation. One of the problems that people tend to have when they're getting used to having the why conversation is that they're satisfied too quickly by vague answers that the client gives to these why questions. You, you need to dig down until you find a business benefit. So here's the thing. The client is talking to you because they know something's wrong. And they know something's wrong because they're measuring something. You need to find out what they're measuring if you want to have any hope of improving it. You need to know what's going to satisfy them. What needle are you trying to move? What is the goal? That way, if you know that, that way you can be very clever and use your expertise to find ways to achieve that outcome more quickly and more easily to deliver better ROI for them and increase your profits by achieving the goal faster than you would have. Um, If you know what the outcome is, it allows you to control scope creep, create happier customers, get really creative with your offerings. You have to dig down until you find a business benefit. So how do you do that? If you said something like, um, you know, let's say a client came to me and they said, um, we know you do responsive web design and we really need a, a responsive web design. So let's talk about that. And I'd say, okay, you know, well, a responsive web design is a really big project probably is going to take up a lot of time from your employees. I'm going to have to ask them questions and get feedback and you have to provide collateral and all this, all these things, lots of meetings, what's going to go on what page, where on the page, all that stuff. Why would you bother doing that? Like what's really the problem you're trying to solve? And they'd say, well, we see that our uh, mobile traffic is really going through the roof and we're not getting as much traffic on desk on the desktop. A lot of people would stop right there. They wouldn't keep going. But in my mind, I think to myself, so what? So I would say, oh, so you, you have a lot of, lot of uh, more traffic on mobile and not as much on desktop. What, is that affecting anything? Like, what's the big deal? And that forces them to say, like, well, it, it forces them to spell it out. They would say, like, well, and they start to make this face like, well, it's obvious what the problem is, but it's actually not obvious to me. I need their actual words. I want their verbatim. I'm going to take their words and put them in the proposal. So I want them to say it. And they'll say something like, well, you know, our sales are way down on mobile. And I would say, oh, now we're getting somewhere in my head. And I'd say, okay, well, where are they, where are sales at now on mobile? And they'll say, well, you know, desktop was, you know, a million dollars a year, um, but that's gone down to 800,000 and the mobile site hasn't really picked up the difference, but all the traffic is going there. So it seems like they're they're kind of browsing there, but then they're shopping somewhere else. We're not sure what's going on. And you know, I'll say, okay, you know, so, so if you could, uh, if we could bump up those sales numbers or if we could bump up the conversion numbers, like what, what is it that you're measuring? Is it sales? Cause I don't know if I can control sales, but I can definitely control conversions. And they would say something like, well, yeah, I mean, if you could get conversions up, that would be amazing. We're sure that we're sure that that would work, you know, conversions to do some uh, intermediate action, like um, you know, I don't know, add a product to their cart or, uh, enter a shipping dress, something. So they're going to, they're going to know something's wrong and they're finally going to share it with me. And I am going to think about what piece of that can I control? I might, I might be able to control in a case like this. I actually might be able to control the revenue numbers. Um, I might be able to control conversions to, um, you know, like I said, more, more calls to action, more engagement on the website, whatever. 
whatever the current situation is, I'm going to think, okay, what's the leading indicator that I can control that they believe is going to contribute to this outcome that they're looking for that I have now uncovered by asking why, 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 and pushing past vague answers by in my head saying, well, so what? And then forcing them to articulate the, the base business benefit that they're trying to get, the needle we're trying to move, the thing that will satisfy them. So this raises the question, what are business benefits? A lot of people will, especially technicians, and I'm guilty of this myself, they will think of uh, features or deliverables as benefits because the benefit is so obvious to the person who's creating the deliverable that, that the dots are connected automatically. So a story from my background, you know, I used to talk about mobile all the time, especially mobile websites. And one of the problems when we went from desktop to mobile uh, as a device was that links that were uh, easy to click on a desktop computer that had a mouse and a pointer were really hard to click sometimes with your finger to tap with your finger on a small phone screen. So I used to, I used to tout my, you know, we'll put finger friendly buttons. We'll make the buttons all finger friendly. And someone said to me like, well, what's why? Like what's finger friendly? And I was like, are you kidding me? Like finger friendly means they can, they can click it. <laughs> it was so obvious to me that buttons on a mobile phone needed to be finger friendly if you wanted people to click the buttons. It's like you want people to click the buttons, right? Wouldn't it be better if they were finger friendly? But it turns out finger friendly made sense to me, but it's it was kind of jargon. It was not obvious to the client why that was going to benefit them. And so you have to connect the dots for someone who's not an expert at what you do. And ideally, you're working for people who are not experts at what you do. So connect the dots. So if I say, I'm going to give you finger-friendly buttons on your website so that it's much easier for people to click your calls to action or to um, you know add items to the shopping cart or to check out on your website or to download your PDF, whatever it is. Connect the dots from your world and your sort of jargon or whatever you want to call it, lingo, and connect it to this customer's situation. So your situation is people are not signing up for your mailing list as as fast as you'd like. Well, it could be that your buttons are hard to click on a mobile phone, all your traffic's on a mobile phone. So I'll make the buttons finger friendly so more people can sign, more people who are on your website can actually do the thing you want them to do more easily. You have to connect the dots for them. Your to-do for this lesson is to go back to the proposal that you've been working on and make sure that you have business benefits for every single deliverable that you've listed or feature or whatever you've got in there. Make sure that you're using business benefits, things that anybody would understand. So once you've done that, you can share your proposals again with the room and people from you know other uh, disciplines, different ones than yours, should be able to read this and it should be obvious to them why a business owner would want these outcomes because you've connected, you know, your version of finger-friendly buttons to, you know, increase signups on your mailing list or something like that. You want it to be clear for an outsider why your finger-friendly buttons matter to a business. I'm actually going to post a a big list of business benefits from Jill Conrath's book uh, Selling to Large Companies, is that what it's called? Selling to Big Companies. 
And uh, there's a, a whole bunch of things on there. There's probably a list of 20 things. So you can go down that list uh, for inspiration and then update your proposals and then share them in the Slack room and get feedback from me and everybody else. All right, cool. Looking forward to seeing them.